This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 490. You can be a leader at home as a parent. You could be a leader in school. You could be a leader as an individual contributor. So I think we're all leaders if we want to be. And I think great leaders are great students and they're learning from everywhere. Great leaders aren't born and they're not made either. They're in the making. They're constantly creating and recreating themselves, their companies, and their leadership. Hi, I'm Jeff Brown, and this is the Read to Lead podcast, the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth. If you want true success in business and in life, guess what? It starts with a consistent and intentional reading habit. That's why this podcast exists and why we interview a new author virtually every single week to chat about their latest book and their unique insights on a number of topics related to leadership, productivity, career, business, marketing, sales, entrepreneurship, and much, much more. My guest today is the epitome of a learning leader. His name is Damon Limby. He's author of a book called The Learn-It-All Leader, Mindset, Traits, and Tools. I'll be asking Damon to share about what he means when he says great leaders aren't born or made, they're in the making, how to go all in on learning and render failure impossible, why he places values ahead of experience when it comes to hiring and why you should too, and much, much more. If you haven't yet joined the Read to Lead community with a simple Read to Lead Plus $9 a month membership, why not? It's the chance to rub shoulders with hundreds of people who take personal and professional development as seriously as you do. Inside, we theme each month and offer Ask Me Anything live streams directed to those themes guest expert trainings on those themes, challenges based on those themes, networking, and much, much more, including a new business book summary each and every week. As we wrap up August, our theme has been impromptu and public speaking. And as we look ahead to September, our theme will be all about mindset. It's a great time to join and you can try it free for two weeks. All you have to do to sign up is go to this web address right now, jeffbrown.com. Me. Again, you get a free two-week trial, and if you decide you like what you see and you want to stick around, it's just $9 a month after that or $99 a year. One more time, it's jeffbrown.me to find out more. Damon Limby is CEO of LearnIt, a global leader in corporate training solutions that has upskilled nearly 2 million people in the past 27 years. After dedicating the first 22 years of his life to the pursuit of becoming a Major League Baseball player, Damon pivoted in 1995 to help his father, Walt, the founder of Learn It, by investing his heart and soul into the company to help others gain the knowledge and confidence they need in attaining their professional goals through the value of education. He attributes Learn It's longevity and success to the ability to surround himself with A players and take advantage of learning and evolving through past mistakes. Damon's new book is called The Learn It All Leader, Mindset, Traits, and Tools. Well, Damon, I'm delighted to have you on the Read to Lead podcast. Uh, your first visit. I'm hoping it's not your last. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jeff. I'm honored and grateful to be here today. I don't know if you saw my tweet from this morning, but I want to put out a warning to anybody listening who might consider buying your book. You have to contend with the fact that once reading it, you will want to stop whatever you're doing and start working and begging Damon to hire you at his company because that's kind of how I feel <laughs> right now. Having having read about the company and read read about your history, 
I haven't worked for anybody for 10 years and haven't desired to. Your book <laughs> sort of made me kind of rethink, maybe I should reconsider this, this whole idea or process. And, and when I read books from CEOs of companies or co-founders, I guess maybe I could call you of this company, I'm often more concerned and want to learn about like what you've learned along the way and I'm less concerned about the company itself. But I want to make sure we walk away from this conversation with having conveyed quite a bit about both, both what you've learned and the company, because I, I think the company, what I've learned about it is just uh, nothing short of, of fantastic. Uh, before we get into that, though, I want to say that I share your affinity for Batman. I have a brother. And uh, the thing we fought over when we were seven, eight, nine is who got to be Batman and who had to be relegated to Robin. I don't know if you ever had that battle. He was just designated Robin. He didn't have a... <laughs> Being the younger brother, he didn't have a choice. That's what's the problem. <laughs> well, and I really loved the story of kind of how this all came to be. And I wondered if you wouldn't mind sharing just some of that, that history. No, sure. Thank you. So growing up, we were, I was really fortunate. Um, my family, my father, Walt, who you just mentioned, and my grandfather, Frank, we were one, one of the largest real estate companies in the San Francisco Bay Area, from multi-tenant buildings to office space to hotels and all of this. And in the mid early to mid-90s, my, my dad, Walt, got curious and he said to himself, he's like, there's got to be a better way to track my portfolio, not on paper. You know, computers are hot, is what he said. <laughs> and he went out and he, and he bought his first Mac. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to figure out how to learn it. So he went to a, a computer training company on Market Street in San Francisco. He dragged around one of, my, one of my sisters, Chelsea. I was in college and they showed up. It was expensive. It was full day. He felt like it was a very sterile environment with an instructor who just sat there, Jeff, with a book reading page by page. Mm. And anybody who knew my father knew his attention span was about three minutes. <laughs> and he just said at the break, he grabbed my sister and he said, we're out of here. And he said, there's just got to be a better way to do this. There's got to be a better way for learning. If I wanted to buy a book, I could just go to Borders or Barnes and & Noble and, and read a book on Excel or whatever. Mm. And so he called up the CFO of our savings and loan that we used to have. And he said, I got this great idea. I want to open up this computer training company and I want the classes to be short, 90 minutes. And I want them to, to be taught by celebrities. Uh, or even, you know, magicians, people who come in, make it really engaging, exciting. And I want it to be inexpensive so everybody can come, you know, mm -hmm. so it's available for everybody. And I want to do it in person and I want to have it in a community where people love to go to. Mm -hmm. And really, that's where the idea of Learn It started. And we started off as a computer training company. And I just happened to, my dream was always to be a professional baseball player. Mm -hmm. uh, I had all my sights set on that. Got drafted by the Atlanta Braves out of high school, but then I went to Arizona State. And when my career ended, I was kind of like Jeff, like, well, what do I do now? Mm. You know, I, I didn't know if my skills were transferable. I was really, I didn't know what to do. Being very fortunate to have these different businesses, I decided to start at Learn It as a receptionist because, uh, you know, I was a little intimidated, and I also wanted to come in you know, from the ground floor. So it didn't look like I was just handed something. Right. And, um, you know, fast forward now, it's been 28 years. Mm. I, I did everything from answering phones to sales to even teaching some classes. And Learn It has evolved from just being a computer training company to doing a lot of skill building, uh, a lot around leadership and management uh, and, and core skills and all mostly B2B where customers come to us when they want to upskill managers who may be new 
or if they want to improve communication. And here we are 28 years later and been fortunate. I've got had a great, great team. Thank you so much for what you said about Learn It earlier. And you know, we've upskilled around two million people uh, over the 28 years, and it's uh, it's been an amazing and really fun journey. No, I'll bet. I'll bet. I want to ask you a little bit about some of the terms you've thrown out and ask you to maybe compare and contrast one against another. I'm thinking in particular about this phrase we're all familiar with, and that's know-it-all. With the title of your book, Learn It All, how do you distinguish between a know-it-all and a learn-it-all? Sure. So I look at, you know, we look at a know-it-all as like, they have all the answers. They've got it all figured out. Mm. It's my way or the highway. I mean, that's typically what I, what I, what it comes to mind when I look at a know-it-all. Uh, a learn it all, on the other hand, is humble enough to understand that they don't have all the answers and that they're not the smartest person in the room. And also that they can learn from others. You can really learn something from everybody you come in contact with. Mm. And that's kind of the difference between the two. And sometimes, you know, Jeff, I think you could be a little bit, you could be able to know it all in one particular category and open in others. And I think we've all kind of been there before, but really that's the difference between a know it all and a learn it all. Do you find with the uh, rising popularity of, of AI, more people think of themselves as know-it-alls as, <laughs> as they used to? I'm actually a fan of AI. Oh, yeah. There, there's two camps right now. There's one where it's going to take over. I'm curious to think what, hear what you think, but there, there's one camp that thinks it's going to end the world, you know, take over the world. <laughs> the other is it's going to prove it and it's going to you know, provide humans an opportunity to uh, work on higher value tasks. And, and there's, you know, there can be an improvements in, in healthcare and everything. So I think, I think that it's too, too early to determine what's going to happen, but I, but I yeah. want to be positive with it. Sure. I don't know if, if there's more know-it-alls because of uh, chat GPT or generative AI. I, th- I think it's a great tool. And if you leverage it correctly, I do think that there's people who don't have a beginner mind mm. who also are like, I'm not going to use it. I'm against it. And, and, and for those of you out there, I read a, a, a survey that said that 42% of American adults aren't even familiar with ChatGPT. Mm. I mean, can you believe that? Yeah. Um, and and I, just, I just think that you should have an open mind and, and try to work with it. I mean, what do you think? Do you think it's going to take over the world or, you know... No, I, and I'm I'm all about it. I'm very very bullish on artificial intelligence and 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 lean more toward the positive side than the negative side with just about any kind of change. I mean, I come from radio, and I uh, banged my head against the wall the last ten years. I was in radio trying to get the powers that be where I work to wake up and realize that the industry's changing, and, and it's it's not as relevant as it once was. And what are we going to do about that? And and are we going to rely on traditional broadcast signals being the only way we share our content with others, or are we going to realize that hitching ourselves to that wagon is probably long-term not a good thing? So I'm very bullish. I think AI is going to impact jobs far less uh, severely than we think. I think it's it's not AI impacting jobs or taking your job. It's somebody who's learned how to use it that's <laughs> taking uh, your job more than likely. And so I think like you, I think we need to not be people with our heads in the sand and, and not be resistant to change because that's going to be our death knell. I love what you just said. I, I, I either put it on LinkedIn or Twitter the other day. I said, you're not going to lose your job to AI. You're going to lose your job to humans who are leveraging AI. Mm, totally. I completely agree. With regard to learners, there's a distinction you make that uh, I hadn't 
heard articulated quite the way you articulated, and I'd love for you to expound on this. And that's the difference between a receiver slash retainer, you call it, and the extractors. I see myself as an extractor, in case you're interested, <laughs> but I'd love for you to share the differences between receiver, retainer, and extractor. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've, I think you're close to 500 episodes of your podcast. I mean, you're, you're definitely an extractor because you're, you're living out, you're living experiences and you're, and you're meeting with different individuals all the time and learning from them. I really define a receiver retainer as, you know, like a scholar, you you, you go to, you you have information taught to you, you know, you're receiving this information in book smart and, 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 college and, and there's nothing wrong with that. What I mean by an extractor is that you're, you're you're gaining knowledge and wisdom through lived experiences and and also your own others and reading books on leadership or whatever it is you're interested in. I mean, I love I'm sure you do too, biographies because you get this opportunity, you know, for what, $18, you get you get to read about people whether it's Winston Churchill or, or whomever, you know, the, the, their wins and their losses and their failures. And to me, an extractor is somebody who pulls all this information uh, through coaches and, and, and then they take that. And I really think great leaders, and you don't have to manage a team to be a, a, a great leader. And I just want to say that to, is that, you know, my book's called The Learn It All Leader. You can be a leader at home as a parent. You could be a leader in school. You could be a leader as an individual contributor. So I think we're all leaders if we want to be. And I think great leaders are great students and they're learning from everywhere and they're getting curious and they're having conversations and, and learning from others and listening to podcasts, watching documentaries. To me, that those are extractors that they're getting information from all over the place. Yeah, I like what John Maxwell says, leadership is influence and all of us influence someone. Absolutely. I teach a cohort I started a little over a year ago called Note Making Mastery that, that lends itself to some of what you're talking about. We walk through these four pillars of collect, connect, crystallize, and create. Uh-huh. And the idea is, is to go from just being someone who hoards information uh, and uh-huh. someone who understands how not just to collect it, but also connect new ideas to existing ideas and, and allow for serendipitous moments of, of seemingly disparate ideas to crash into one another. Uh, and then to be able to put your own stamp on it such that then you can remix it all and create something brand new out of it. So I really like what you, what you said with regard to that. With regard to leaders and leadership, what do you mean when you say that, that great leaders aren't born and neither are they made? They're actually in the making. You know, his name escapes me right now, but uh, who's the, he wrote the book, Setting the Table. Awesome, awesome book. He founded the, oh gosh, the Shake Shack. I was walking down the street in, in Chicago for work the other day, and I was listening to a podcast with him, and he said something very similar, and I kind of just stopped in my tracks. Uh, I can't remember his name. It's a great book. To answer your question, what I mean is that as a leader, your job is never done. Mm. You know, Your job is never done because it's not the, hey, this is how we've always done it. This is how we're going to continue to do it. It's you need to keep continue to evolve in in your career, in your leadership ability. And whether it's different AI or whether it's different generations you're working with. So you need to continue to learn and adapt. That's one of the reasons why I wrote my book was that if I can do it, I think others, everyone out there can do it as well. Mm. It's not like you're just either born being a great leader. You can, you can do it too if, if you put in the work and you continue to uh, learn as you go. 
I think it was Danny Meyer. Danny Meyer. He said the same thing. He's like, you know, as a leader, you're never finished. If you're a finished product, then you're done and yeah. everybody's going to pass you up. I love what my first ever guest, Dan Miller, 10 years ago said with regard to that. And he was just again on the show a couple of weeks I ago. Saw that. He said, if it ever becomes clear that I've stopped learning, dig a hole and push me in as quickly as possible because I'm of no use to anybody. And that has stuck with me. I've, I've never forgotten that. And I just love that, that mindset with regard to learning. Uh, you struggled years ago in your 20s with something that I struggled with for a good while up into my early 30s, I would say, and that's imposter syndrome. And also in your case, something called the lucky curse. Talk about these two hurdles and, and what you did to, to sort of push through them. So the first of all, the, I think everybody's kind of familiar with the imposter syndrome. The lucky curse, it, we'll start with that, is as I mentioned at the, at the beginning, I was very fortunate to come from a, a family with a lot of opportunity. And even in sports, in baseball, coming into college, I was the uh, I was a high school American, and mm. sometimes that's a lot of pressure. Mm. You know, it's a lot of pressure on, and people don't really understand. Not to feel sorry for anybody that has it, but it, that that you come in and you know people think maybe it's handed to you, and that kind of leads to the imposter syndrome, where it's like. Well, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe mm. I maybe I don't belong here. First of all, I think everybody struggles with the imposter syndrome at some point. And if if somebody says they don't, well, I don't think that they're. I, I just think people can see through that. Mm. What I learned how to get through the imposter syndrome early on, I have like a three step process. First, you got to understand, you know, what is it that you're afraid of or, or worried about. Once you do that, my first step in the process is work hard. You know, get in repetition. I'm not saying work 10, 15 hours a day, but put in the effort. Number two is focus on whatever this situation is. You know, at the time for me, it, it was baseball. You know, it's easy to procrastinate and get off target, especially if something's difficult. So, number two is really focusing on what you're doing. And number three, it comes back to just learn, learn from, learn from the experience and kind of, Jeff, also kind of let go a little bit. Because once you've worked hard and you've really focused and you're learning what's going on, you know, whether it's you're in sales or whatever it is, and then kind of let go and, and just knowing that you've done your best and you've tried, that's really all that matters. And, and you should really, in most situations, if not all, not really worry about what other people think, you know, because people are really more concerned about themselves. You know, so if you fail a presentation or you mess something up, people think about it for a second, then they'll move on. So don't beat yourself up over it. If you know you put in 100% effort, you did your best, and then, and then believe that you have the right to be where you're at. You know, mm. So believe in yourself enough that you should be there and, and go from there. As you're talking, I'm reminded uh, of, of a couple of things I read in the book with regard to specific individuals that have worked for you over the years. So the, the kind of leadership you've shown, there was the, the woman who uh, you realized had been hired around the same time as someone else and, and, and the other person had negotiated a, a bigger salary. And you thought, well, I could just let that go. But there's something just kind of stuck in your craw about that. And you, you felt like you had to kind of bring her up to that other person's level. She would have never known it otherwise, but that you took the time to, to invest in her on the front end, I think, in, in that way when you didn't have to says so much about your leadership. And then there's there's one or two people I recall, and I don't think you use their names in these instances where you know somebody's sort of skimming some money, not a lot of money, but they're 
in some kind of sales contest and otherwise yeah. a good employee and it maybe was just a hundred bucks and they don't work for you anymore and they're flabbergasted because they're like, well, it's, it's not a big deal. But but you realize what that says about a whole lot of other things, right? Yeah. I, I think it, 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 it builds a toxic environment where if you allow for skimming and cheating and yeah, we had a, we had a simple sales contest and uh, a couple individuals cheated for like a hundred bucks. I mean, if they needed a hundred bucks, they could have just asked me for it, you know? <laughs> and uh, they were shocked when, when, when I let them go and they were kind of young in their career and, and hopefully it was a good learning lesson for them mm-hmm. uh, to, to do again. It's so funny, Jeff, because uh, one of the um, women that I, I coach is a new sales leader and she's got a situation where somebody on her team cheated on a contest for a lot more money, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's out of her hands whether or not they're going to terminate this person who is a top performer. And she passed it up the ranks. And here we are four months later and that, and that individual is still there, you mm-hmm. know? So I just think that uh, that creates a, t- a toxic culture and something that should be avoided. Yeah. It's not worth it. It's not worth keeping people around who, who do, do stuff like that. Let's talk a little bit about failure and, and how you view failure. You use the phrase or this concept of just going all in. How does going all in on learning essentially render failure impossible? Well, it kind of goes back to what we spoke about earlier in the uh, imp- about the imposter syndrome, yeah. where it, it's it's learning. And I also want to add trying, you know, because if if you if you really want to learn something and and you and you try and get out of your comfort zone and take chances and maybe have moonshot I talk about you know moonshot dreams or whatever <laughs> and if you do that and you fail well you still learn and I, I really think that that's you know if you if you take every situation like that nothing is a straight trajectory to the top you're gonna have failures people are gonna say no to you. People are, you're going to lose deals. Uh, I work a lot with our sales team and there, there are times, you know, we're certain we're going to win a deal <laughs> and, um, and we lose a deal. And the, the best thing that happens sometimes is if we can have a conversation with the customer and just say, Hey, you know what? I'm not trying to change your mind. I just want to learn what, what can we do differently next time? What can we do better? And then you, and that's what I mean by that. You, you can take that information so you're not repeating the same mistakes all the time and you can keep moving forward and evolving. Mm. We all were impacted in various ways throughout the pandemic, some more severely than others. But talk a bit about flexible thinking, I think you call it, and, and what, in your estimation, a lot of companies got wrong about the pandemic. So flexible thinking, you know, I think, I think it's more typically known as learning agility, which, by the way, I think is really one of the most key skills moving forward uh, for everyone. Because back in the day, the lifespan of a skill was two or three years. Now they're saying, Jeff, it's like six months. You know, mm. So you need, you need to be able to keep learning. Mm. And there are companies who got things wrong in, in the pandemic. And there's a lot of them who got it right and, and pivoted. Uh, and really what I'm referring to is if you take that old school approach of this is how we do it. This is how we're always going to do it. You're going to get left left behind. Mm. And for the companies and, and individuals who, who didn't pivot quick enough, you know, a lot of them got left behind. And then there's, there's also thousands of success stories of people who worked within the constraints that they had and changed. You know, there's that, what's that quote? I think it's John Maynard Keynes. He said, when the facts change, I change my mind. What do you do, sir? You know, <laughs> and it's yeah. having a flexible thinking and learning agility also means being humble enough to just say, 
I'm wrong. I made a mistake Mm. and move forward, learn and move forward. I had the chance to publish a book a couple of years ago and uh, had the privilege of having uh, one of my heroes, a guy by the name of Seth Godin, uh, take a look at it uh, before it came out. And he not only was kind enough to write a blurb about it, but also give some advice on how to make it better. And I was like, yes, please. (laughs) One of the things we hadn't addressed was why more people don't read. And this relates to, to what you were just talking about, I think, is the reason I bring it up. He says that more people don't read for two reasons. Number one is people don't want to learn because learning means admitting you don't know something. And, and, and so it's easier not to learn and just get back to work. He says the other reason people don't want to learn, and this is what made me think of this or what, uh, what you said that made me think of this. He says people don't want to change their minds. If a book is going to help you get somewhere you've been unable to get to on your own, it means having to change your mind about something. And so the kind of those two things, admitting we don't know something and admitting we might need to change our mind about something are two things that make us very uncomfortable. And there are too many people, I think, who don't understand sort of the basic stoic philosophy of easy choices, hard life, hard choices, easy life. And that doesn't mean that you have to do all the hard stuff now or everything has to be hard now. But we avoid too many of the hard things now, and we, we push those things out so that future us is the one who has to deal with them. And that's where regret kicks in. Yeah. And you know, I think also what you're referring to is like delayed gratification, right? You, know, you put in the effort. You don't want to do, the, you don't want to do the, the hard work now because you don't see instant reward, mm-hmm. um, you know, whether it's dieting or, or, or trying to get a new job, you know, or, or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. You know, I think Seth Godin's awesome. I actually went through, I went through his, um, all MBA program. Mm. I, I love getting uh, learning opportunities like that. And mm. I, I know he was recently, I think on your show and what an amazing opportunity to, to receive feedback from somebody like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially when one of his books from 20 years ago was the book that reignited the dying ember for me that was my love for reading. Which one? Purple, not Purple Cow. It, it was Purple Cow, actually. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Great book. Great <laughs> yeah. book. Yeah. Hit me at the, the right place, right time where I was at the right mindset to receive it. Had not done any reading since school, you know, 10, 12 years at all. And that, that book just reignited it for me uh, is the reason this podcast exists, arguably. Uh, and to have had him on now three times, the first time, particularly uh, was, you know, sort of a full circle moment, but then to have him on twice more. And then the whole thing with the book, it was, you know, it's just a real, real treat for me, for sure. It's awesome. Uh, yeah. We hear, hear the term family kicked around a lot these days in relation to sort of the work environment. It's not ever been a term that I've been hugely fond of. And I, I'm hearing more and more leaders, including you kind of push back on that. How do you prefer to think of what most call a work family? I have good work relationships with my employees, you know, and I, I think it's important to get to know them outside of work, what they have going on. I look at it as a team, not a family. Mm. And the simple explanation is uncle Bob's always going to be your uncle. You know, he's, he's part of the family. You can't get rid of him. Yeah. <laughs> when it comes to employees and your team members, they're not tied to to your organization forever. Mm. And there are times, Jeff, and it's fine that they outgrow your organization. They, they outgrow their role and it's time to move on. There's also times where your organization outgrows them. You know, if, if say you scale from 5 million to 30 million and the CEO who got you there is not the right person to have you moving forward for whatever reason, 
And, and, and that's really why I think it's important uh, to look at it as a team over a family. And it goes both ways. So, you know, the employees need to feel like they have the right to, if it's time to move on, it's time to move on. You know, I think that you don't want to burn any bridges and you want to have a good relationship because Adam, to your alumni, like we have this phenomenal alumni at Learn It. And, and for leaders need to understand too, sometimes it, it, it's time for somebody to move on and they're just not the right person for the role. It's a tricky situation mm. um, in some instances, but yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a believer that as a team over a family, and I think you hear a lot more of that now these yeah. days than, than in the past. You know, I said it was really important to me in this conversation for people to get the gist of, of not just leadership philosophy from you, but also the company. And I think probably the singular story from my having read the book that just best encapsulates everything I want to get across involves your father and parking attendants and you. Would, would you mind sharing a, a, a version of that story? No, I'd be happy to. So I worked up and down Montgomery Street in San Francisco my whole life. And on Monday evenings, my dad would come from his office because my dad never worked at Learn It. You know, he worked at his real estate company. Mm-hmm. He, he would never worked at Learn It. He would park across the street. He would do, do his work. And then we would uh, walk a couple blocks to, to get dinner. One night he said, hey, I got to do something. Can you go get my car? And his car was at this garage called the Rust Street Garage in San Francisco. And it's, you know, all CEOs, senior, it's very expensive, you know, elite garage, you know, Mm -hmm. right in the heart of the financial district. I go in uh, like I do many times to to get his car. And, you know, all the attendants are, they've all been there for quite a while. And as soon as they see me, they say, learn it, learn it. Hey, what's going on? (laughs) Learn it. And uh, one of the gentlemen comes up to me, he's probably in his sixties and he, and he says, do you ever wonder why your father's car is always parked in the front? And I'm like, hmm, not, not really. I didn't, I didn't know. And he said, because your father comes in here and he treats us like human beings. He asks us how our kids are doing. He offers us free classes at Learn It, tickets to Giants games. And it just means a lot to us that he just treats us like human beings, mm. you know, where most people don't have time or interest in, in, in speaking with us. And your dad is is great. He's a great guy, and he's a good tipper, you know. But um, it it and it's it, it, that that's a story, Jeff, that, that I tell a lot because you know if you knew my dad, it didn't matter if he was meeting with the senior VP of Morgan Stanley or a barista at Starbucks. He he just treated everybody the same, and quite frankly, he probably preferred talking to the parking lot attendants he, <laughs> and listening to them. He just, he just loved being around characters and it, uh, it helped model, I think, how my uh, siblings and I grew up where we were just realized it's important to, to treat everybody fairly and, and the same. So it's something that I, I remember like it was yesterday and it's always stuck with me. Thanks for asking that question, actually. Well, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for stories where children get to see the impact their parents are having yeah. on other people. Um, my, my dad passed away in 2018, and I, I remained Sorry. pretty stoic throughout until people were exiting, and I began hearing stories of the impact that my father had on them, and I was just... I, I was in the fetal position after that. <laughs> it's like, that got to me. And so when I read that story yeah. of your dad's impact, I thought, well, that must have been so cool from your perspective. To, to have that relayed to you and, and, and yeah. see what your dad was doing in the lives of other people. 
Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm, I'm sorry about your father. Um, and that was one of the reasons why I, uh, I wrote one of my inspirations for writing this book. One, I want to, you know, I want to help individuals in their careers, but you know, I'm 50 and I got a, I got a five-year-old and a two-year-old. They never had the opportunity to meet my dad. Mm. And I wanted them to know not just my dad, but also my mom, my mom's alive. I wanted them to see the impact that he had on our lives and, and everybody else out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that was one of the inspirations of, of it. And uh, yeah, it was tough, you know, I mean, it's 13 years ago and but that's just how life goes, you know? Yeah. So a same scenario or similar scenario. My dad's gone. Mom's still here. She's almost 82 and is as vibrant as she's ever been. <laughs> as ornery that's as awesome. she's ever been. <laughs> yeah. so. Well, let, let me sort of start to land the plane here since we're, we're almost out of time. I had several of the questions I was, I was going to try to get to, but I've gone off on a few tangents as we've talked. It's okay. Before I jump into a couple of things not about the book, anything I've not asked you with regard to the book that you want to make sure people know about or, or walk away with? Well, I think we had a pretty in-depth conversation. One area in my book that, that people have really come to me a lot and really enjoyed and was fascinated about was the whole thing around trust tax. And what I mean by trust tax is going into relationships, giving people the benefit of the doubt, let's say, and then uh, realizing that you're going to get burnt sometimes, you know, and, and as a leader or as in any kind of personal professional relationships that um, you have two ways to go about it after being burnt a couple of times or a lot of times you can come in as a skeptic and suspicious, or you can come in with an open mind give people the benefit of the doubt and trust them. And I've had everybody from sports coaches to judges to friends really curious about that. And I just say, look, it's really hard. I think it's having a lot of negative energy and really worrying about that. I think it would be put better use to focus on the positive Mm -hmm. and really learn from those uh, situations to try to avoid them and just pay the trust tax. I mean, it's just part of the game. Yeah. So that, that was the one piece we didn't talk about, but I, pretty much you, you covered everything else. Good, good. A former leader of mine used to say, I will, I will trust you implicitly until you give me a reason not to. <laughs> you mentioned uh, you're a fan of books. We certainly are kindred spirits as far as that goes. So this may be a tough question to answer. Is there a book or two you could recommend that over the years have, have had a particular impact on you? I did listen to a couple of your episodes, so I knew this question was coming. And so, <laughs> so, so recently, I would say the, the first book, I got three. The first book I'd recommend is Range by David Epstein. And it's the difference between being a generalist versus a specialist. Are you familiar with that book? I just finished listening to it on Audible about a month ago. It's good, right? It's fantastic. Yes. Yeah, I get, you know, I get a lot of parents coming to me telling me, hey, I want my kid to get a full ride, be a baseball player, soccer mm-hmm. player like you. What what can you do? And I'm like, play all kinds of sports, play play at different instruments. You know, there's too much focus on specialization. So that's mm-hmm. one I recommend all the time. Uh, there's a there's a sales book out there called Jolt Effect mm-hmm. by Matt Dixon and another author. I think that's really relevant for the times right now for anybody out there who's in sales. And it's because, Jeff... Over 55% of deals are lost to status quo and no decision mm. instead of uh, to a competitor. And what the Jolt Effect talks about is how to de-risk opportunities, 
how to um, anticipate objections. It's just, a, it's, a, it's a great, fascinating book. They, they researched and studied tens of thousands of minutes of Zoom meetings over the pandemic. And they talked about what high performers did versus non-high performers. So if you're in sales wow. in tough times like today, where you know budgets are tight, that's a really good one. And then finally, I mean, my go-to, I, I'm a big fan of Richard Branson's uh, autobiographies. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I think the first one was like losing my virginity or whatever. And mm-hmm. I, I remember back in '98, I, 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 you know, it was always him going up against the big guy at Warehouse versus Tower Record, you know, yeah. and uh, Virgin or whatever, and the airlines. And I remember one time, I actually wrote him like a seven-page letter because there's no email back then. <laughs> I never sent it, but uh, I've always been a fan of of his work. So those are my current recommendations. And with regard to the to the sales book, I, I I would argue we're all in sales. Maybe everybody needs uh, to read that. Was it Dan Pink who who wrote "To Sell as Human"? We're, we're we're all in sales, and and I think I, I could geek out on conversation like that. But like Dan <laughs> Pink, his book "Drive" is awesome. But, yeah. but we're all in sales at, at at some point. You know, I mentioned the cohort that I teach uh, note making mastery, and I'd be curious as a professional learner and and teacher, maybe the tips or tricks you might share for how you capture new things that you come across that you uh, learn that you want to make sure don't get lost that you're able to go back to later and, and maybe combine this thing with that thing and create something new. What are what are some of your processes in, in that realm, would you say? Well, I, I might want to check out your note, note, note taking mastery because I'm a huge <laughs> fan, on, huge fan of note takers. Mm. What I do is I think it's important to you know, try to make your your reading sticky, right? You know, mm-hmm. and um, one is I'm in multiple book clubs, and these are just small book clubs. You know, yeah. these are just we're re- whatever kind of you know. I, and I got different buddies and friends, and even a mother in law where we read books and we kind of share it back. You know, kind of hold it accountable. Number two, I'm fortunate at Learn It that we are a learning organization and we provide a lot of learning opportunities. Uh, so what I do is I read for business books. I read them on a Kindle. And then I, I take notes because in the past, I'd never go back to them, but I use an app called Readwise mm. that I could download those notes and they could also prompt them to, to me to read. But I take those notes and I set up a lunchtime meeting with the staff and, I, and I'll take like three or four quotes and I'll say, take 15 minutes in a group of three and come back with an applicable of how this is applicable to your role at Learn It. Mm. And, and so they'd have to share that back. And I think one of the best ways to retain information, and I'm sure you've talked about this a million times on your show, but it's the truth, is, is to teach it back. Teach it back. Yes. You know, you're giving to the individuals you're working with, but you're you're reinforcing what you learned. And finally, I don't know what you think about this, but I also think that it's okay to quit books. I've had, a, you know, in the past, I always want to finish something, get through it, and sometimes I just don't even remember anything from it. Yeah. But uh, now, if I get 50 pages, 75 pages into something, and I'm not retaining anything or it's boring, I put it down and, and move on because there's just so many books out there. So th- those are my my tips, I guess. Yeah, I'm in total agreement with you there. In fact, I, I want to say that I talk about that in my book, Read to Lead, Quitting Books, giving books uh, maybe 50 pages. And if it's not doing it for you, give yourself permission to to set it aside. And and not only that too, is to, before you sit down to read something, know why you're reading it, you know, have a, have a, an idea of what it is you want to get out of it. And then write that down, write that goal down and with business books. Anyway, look at the chapter titles. And sometimes you can look at the chapter titles and go, okay, well, there's actually four chapters that lend themselves to what I want to learn. 
give yourself permission to start there. It, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be read linearly. Sometimes they lend themselves to being read that way, but it doesn't have to be that way oftentimes. And then once you've read those handful of chapters, say, you can reevaluate and go, did I get what I needed? Maybe you did. And, the, and, and if you did, you can put it down and go to the next thing. You, know, you don't have to necessarily start at the beginning and read it all the way, all the way through. I'm going to check out your book. That's something I've read. You know, I think one of Ryan Holiday's blog quotes, or whatever, is just reading the chapters applicable. I got to be better. I got. I want to get better at that. I always kind of feel like you got to start at the beginning and finish. But you know, sometimes you're right. Just figure out the chapters that are that are important uh, for you. I will admit, Damon, that in particular, I like to start at the beginning and go all the way through. Yeah. That's just how my brain works. But and, and and quitting books was difficult for me. Like wrapping my brain around that concept. I'm a completist. I am too. Whether it's my food or it's my book I'm reading, I'm a completist. You know, I, you know, I, I read the front and back jacket. I read the acknowledgments. Yeah. Um, I read pretty much everything but the index when it comes to a book. But uh, uh, you know, do as I say, not as I do, I guess, perhaps is the uh, lesson there. <laughs> well, Damon's book, again, is called uh, The Learn It All Leader, Mindset, Traits, and Tools. And as I said, uh, the warning is read it and know that you're going to want to quit your job and beg him to let you come work for him. Trust me. Damon, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you, Jeff. I had a great time speaking with you. The hardcover edition of Damon's book, which came out in April, is available on Amazon right now for less than 10 bucks. It's currently going for $9.68. That's awesome. I'll put a link to that book in the show notes, along with the links to the books that Damon recommended, plus how to connect with him on social media like LinkedIn, Twitter, and elsewhere. You'll find all of that on the show notes page for this episode, and that's found at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 490 for episode 490. Can you believe we're just 10 weeks away, 10 episodes away from episode 500? I'm so thankful that you're here each and every week. Here's a taste of what's ahead here on the podcast. Next week, we'll sit down with Hal Hirschfield and talk about his book, Your Future Self, How to Make Tomorrow Better Today. That's followed by a conversation with Jason Del Rey. He's written a fascinating book for leaders on the back-and-forth wars between Amazon and Walmart called Winner Sells All, Amazon, Walmart, and the Battle for Our Wallets. We'll get to know Dan Rockwell and talk about his business parable, co-written with John David Mann called The Vagrant. John David Mann worked on The Go-Giver with Bob Berg. And we'll wrap up September with a book by Matt Abrahams called Think Faster, Talk Smarter, How to Speak Successfully When You're Put on the Spot. That's our September lineup for the Read to Lead podcast. Hope you'll come back for each week in September. Well, that does it for this week and for August. Again, thanks for being here. Hope to see you next time. Until then, as always, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Read.